Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Aftermath. Uh, With us today are producer Amanda. Hi, everyone. And fact checker Chris Smith. Yeah, but today's an Aftermath episode, and I take the math out of Aftermath because I'm not checking any facts today. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Bold statement. (laughs) It's a day off for Mr. Chris. Uh, I love Aftermath episodes. (laughs) They're so loosey-goosey. I'm so loose, and I have no facts to check. (laughs) (laughs) The oppression of the facts checker. Oh, it is. It's so much pressure. Everyone turns to me when they're confused (laughs) and they have foggy memory. Oh, wait, what's that law? No. Go, Chris. Go look it up, Chris. Well, I I want to bring up the fact that you don't really use Google. You use a different search engine. Uh That's correct. What is it? I use DuckDuckGo. (laughs) I'm sorry. What? And I'm sorry that I. (laughs) What is DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo is. I think I read some article at some point that Google. You know, they mine all your information and store your personal data and then sell it to people. So I opted for DuckDuckGo, where they don't store your personal info. Uh, they don't follow you around with ads, and we don't track you ever. Yay. So please use DuckDuckGo if you care about your okay. privacy. This might explain a lot of the fact-checking that's been going on. <laughs> it takes a long time for it's you to come up same, with a simple no, fact. No, it's the same information I'm getting. I don't know. Well, One we, time I asked you to help me figure 
figure out how to pronounce something, and it took you a solid two minutes. <laughs> well, in all fairness, like finding out how to pronounce something, you online just literally is really hard. no, you no, it's not. It's one of the easiest things well, you in go the world. Dictionary.com. You, you go. You literally put pronounce. <laughs> uh, whatever. DuckDuckGo could probably do that. Let's do it right now. <laughs> pronounce, pronounce, pronounce Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna race you on DuckDuckGo. And look how to pronounce Hiroshima. Boom! All right, onto YouTube. Same thing. <laughs> okay. Well, then maybe it's a problem with. See. Hiroshima. 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 Okay. Thanks, Chris. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, let me shut this off. That's so... DuckDuckGo, I've never heard of it. I got to look it up. Um, so today we're actually going to be hearing a, an extended version of the interview with our guest expert, Hayden Parrish. Hayden is a, a listener of ours who reached out when we were searching for uh, an expert for the Mad Cow uh, disease episode, and he actually grew up in a farm, a cattle farm, and had some insight about his family's practices, cattle farming. Hi, Hayden. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm so glad you could hop on and uh, talk to us about this. Yeah, of course. It's great to talk to you. I listen to you all the time. So, Hayden, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience uh, with cattle? Because uh, we have to tell our listeners that you reached out to us. I'm glad I could help. I usually don't watch um, Instagram live story or stories, so I'm glad I saw yours. So I um, am from a small town in central Virginia, um, and I work as a college advisor at our local high school, helping low-income and first-generation students um, kind of find education or at least find a path for, path for them after they graduate. Um, but I grew up in this town, um, and I grew up raising cattle. Um, both sets of my grandparents owned a cattle farm about 10 minutes from each other. And when my parents got married, my dad started running both farms. My dad is definitely the champion of these farms, but I, by proxy, have grown up caring for um, a lot of the animals on our farm. Um, and I guess uh, some of my experiences with cows is um, when I was a teenager, um, I showed three blue ribbon steers um, at our local county fair and won best in beef cattle showmanship each time. Um, and something that I do every day now is that we have a, um, young calf that was abandoned by her mother. Um, and I bottle feed her, um, every morning and every night. Um, and my dad feeds her during the day when I'm at work. I, I, I thought you would find it funny. Her name is Molly named in part, um, after the unsinkable Molly Brown from the Titanic. Um, <laughs> she's a fighter. So <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, I know that your uh, farms are much smaller in size, but can you talk to us a little yeah. bit about what you know about factory farming and just give us your thoughts on it? So the farm that I live on, we have probably about 20 cows in our herd. Um, and the other farm, which is a little bit bigger, has about 35 cows. Um, but I've researched factory farms over the years, um, and I've come to just absolutely despise the way that they function I remember a few years ago, I think it was in 2015, um, in a farm a couple counties over from ours, um, 12,000 turkeys burned alive when the building that they were kept in um, caught on fire. Um, and just like thinking about the, the 
thinking about my farm, like there's not 12,000 of anything in our, in our barns, maybe um, straws of hay. Um, <clears throat> but I just like 12,000 things should never, 12,000 animals should never be kept in one building. Um, and just if that takes place, I really don't think that represents um, farmers historically. Oh, you're breaking my heart. Now, what are some of the precautions, if any, that you take uh, in farming to avoid your own cows from being infected with the mad cow disease? It's a a good question, um, and I don't have a a strong answer for it. I was born um, in 1996, kind of as the the first big outbreak was coming to a a close. Um, And I really think here locally um, on smaller farms, I guess the the fear and hysteria around mad cows dissipated. Um, But I was talking to my dad about it, and he said that one practice that his father passed on to him was just making sure that that we know where the cows and other animals that we're purchasing are coming from, Um, either trying to know the farmer, um, knowing the practices that they implement just so that we um, are reassured of the quality of animals that we're raising. And are, are there any diseases at the moment that um, you guys uh, practice um, when caring for uh, your cattle? Um, or kind of. Or um, precautions for, I must say? There's, there's two main diseases that um, I think we think about most often. Um, the first is um, cows can get facial warts that are contagious um, among herds. Um, I There's not a great way to take precaution for it, but truly just implementing what my grandfather was talking about of um, knowing where the animals are coming from and what conditions they were in and trying to avoid purchasing animals um, from, from farms and herds that have had a, a wart um, problem lately. Um, but the other big one is cows get pink eye pretty easily. Um, they get pink eye from the flies that like hover around their face. Um, so we do take a lot of precaution, um, and trying to use insect repellent on our, on our animals. Um, the one, one thing that we've been doing the last few years, it's kind of cool, um, is we use a device that's similar to a paintball gun. Um, so we buy pellets that have insect repellent in them and shoot them at each of the adult cows. Um, and as long as we do it correctly, which we do, um, it does little more than just startle the cows and then the flies are off of them for a month or two at least. Wow. Are there any government policy? I'm sorry, I should say, is government policy a factor in how you farm? Um, I think government policy is um, pretty minimal um, on farms as small as ours. Um, The one thing that comes to mind is we have worked with the EPA to fence off some of our waterways uh, to prevent both erosion and water pollution. Um, and in exchange for that, we get grant money to install waters for our cows. Um, so the EPA helps subsidize all the fencing and the new watering equipment. Um, but other than that, there's not a lot that comes to mind. So from your perspective, who would you place blame on for the mad cow disease? It's got to be Oprah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oprah's, Oprah's definitely the one to blame. We should definitely sue her. Um, I'm just kidding. I think probably most directly, um, the the thing to blame is the forced cannibalism in factory farms. Um, I understand, I guess, the important impact that using direct protein to feed our animals 
Um, I understand that that's important in production, but I think our nation's reliance on meat is largely unnecessary. And I not easily, but I feel like we could adjust it, adjust our economy to accommodate it a little more. Um, if our society just incorporated more sustainable and ethical practices into meat production, um, I think we would be better off for it. Now, uh, lastly, I just wanted to ask you, now you mentioned that you were a uh, vegetarian. So I guess I've been a proud vegetarian for almost three and a half years. Um, I became a vegetarian in college. Um, The reason for that, though, was what was the way that I grew up. Um, And like I mentioned, uh, every morning, the first thing I do is I feed my chickens and then I feed Molly. Um, and although Molly is just two months old, I've cared about every cow that we have ever owned. Um, whenever my friends come over, um, and meet my cows, they always refer to them as like big dogs. Um, but I usually get kind of annoyed (laughs) by that comparison because I, I feel like we don't need to justify kindness to one creature by comparing them to another. Um, but I guess for, for most of my life, I was able to ignore the fact that I was eating animals like the ones I was raising. Um, and I've always known that the animals on my farm had a better life than the animals that ended up on my plate. Um, but as I came to understand the cruelty that is implemented really with intention um, on factory farms, I could no longer justify the suffering that I was causing just for the taste of meat. Well, Hayden, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and for caring for Molly. Yeah, of course. Thank you for talking to me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online 
designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. I thought that was really interesting, especially the part at the end where he was talking about how he's a, a vegetarian now and how he just couldn't bring himself. He realized that the food on the plate was not coming from farms that were as lucky as the ones in his uh, farm. Right. The animals. Yeah, that's true. No, that was very sweet. And between him and Joaquin Phoenix, like we have a lot <laughs> to think about in terms of maybe becoming vegans. Becoming vegan, I think, scares a lot of people. That idea sounds so drastic. But I was a vegetarian for seven years. And then I started eating meat again. And lately, I've just been like inching my way back to trying to eat more vegetables and, and less meat, I think, mostly because I'm concerned about like global warming. And yeah. obviously, like there's the ethical concerns about how the animals are treated. And I don't know, it's just a, it's a lot to think about. Yeah, any any kind of... uh you know, less consumption also helps, especially with global warming and just minimizing, just thinking about it. The only problem is, you know, a lot of this has to do with the cost of meat and, you know, the the factory farm meat that we see in the grocery store is definitely more affordable. So it's almost like a privilege to be able to think about where your meat is coming from. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's a really good point. I, I've been pretty delighted, though, to see more and more fast food restaurants introduce vegetarian options, you know, with the Impossible Burger. And so hopefully that's changing a little bit. I know I'm lucky when I go to the grocery store, I just automatically will try to buy like organic free range meat, but I can afford that. I know if you're like have a family and you're trying to put get food on the table, it's not as clear cut. But hopefully I feel like there's kind of a move move toward people realizing we don't need to eat meat at every meal at least. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. And honestly, with those Beyond Burgers and those, like you said, those Impossible Burgers, it's like you're not really missing out on much, right? I'm with you. Um, I'm into it. Me too. I am too. So we've had some uh, listener uh, listeners reach out. Um, cool. <laughs> there was uh, some listeners reached out about the Brad and Jennifer episode. We also had some Black Sox talk. So this comes from Lisa Ann Rose. Uh, she reached out on Facebook and she says, I have to weigh in on Brad and Jennifer, the Brad and Jennifer episode where Brad Pitt's demons were to blame. As a therapist, I can assure you that all three have many demons. But okay, I thought you said Siemens. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, thought I heard Siemens. I was like, we, did we put Brad Pitt's Siemens Does on Does he have board? more than one type of semen? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I just had to say that. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, that made me giggle. Uh, <laughs> um, what was overlooked was Aniston's relationship with her mother. What? Mm -hmm. Working through dysfunctional relationships or lack thereof with parents almost always factors into romantic relationships. Mm. This is most likely evidenced by her short-lived marriage with uh, Justin uh, T. Thoreau, at, not Timberlake. <laughs> she just mm. wrote Justin T. as well. Um, her demons are also to blame, and it would be interesting to hear a podcast uh, on Jolie and Pitt. 
So she, yeah, <laughs> she wants me to uh, don't even get me started on Jolie and her dad and her former marriage to Billy Bob Thornton. Mm. So, so to be part of a larger series, Brad, Jen, Angelina, and their parents, the series. Yeah. The alarmist. So what is she alleging went on between Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. And okay, so I'm seeing an article here. E! News, Jennifer Aniston details the deep wounds caused by her mom. Yes. Uh, apparently, Jen Aniston um, had a, a, you know difficult relationship with her mom nancy dow um in her youth that shaped her uh i guess now uh it says in the article from a young age aniston says she witnessed the dissolution of her parents marriage ultimately leading to a childhood where her mother became an emotionally draining figure in her youth is what the article says. And I think they're alleging that she channeled this for her role in Dumplin', the Netflix <laughs> oh original, which I actually thought was a great movie. Oh, I haven't seen it. it. It's really worth watching. It's very <laughs> sweet. Um, but it's saying here that eventually the star and her mother drifted apart. Um, but as she mat- Jennifer matured, she says that she came to the realization that her mom, who's also an actress, was simply trying her best. Well, I mean, don't we all just come to that realization? Yeah, exactly. And I don't mean to push back against our, our uh, what is the name Lisa of this Lisa Ann Rose. Lisa Ann Rose. But, um, you know, if you want to throw sort of parents to blame in any relationship, I mean, you can kind of use that for anybody because we all had parents well not all of us but most of us have parents and yes like most of us are still dealing with those relationships as we enter into new relationships in terms of roles and in terms of dependency and stuff like that so careful what you say chris your parents are listening (laughs) that's true (laughs) that's true and we have a pretty good relationship so (laughs) so that says a lot (laughs) i take her point though that really in any relationship that takes two to tango so that we probably should have made Jennifer Aniston a little bit more culpable maybe even going as far as putting Jennifer Aniston's demons on the board but it was so difficult with Georgia sitting here Um, you know she's such a fan we didn't (laughs) want to break her heart (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, no definitely I think that they both have to have demons Mm. and and I think what Lisa says is, is correct I do think that ultimately it has what what I think um, lent to it a little bit more is that it – I don't know. I don't know Jennifer Aniston personally. I don't know what her mental health um, experience has been. I don't know if she sees a therapist. Um, but it, it, it comes off as if she is a little bit – is much more grounded and maybe has – seeked help for those demons whereas i we don't think that brad had at the moment of the marriage also brad is the one who was unfaithful allegedly so uh, to me that means that his demons were worse than jennifer aniston's demons (laughs) but well you know the thing is we'll never know what goes on behind closed doors so true as much as we'd like to exactly i'd love to be a fly on that wall oh boy would i Your eyes just got so small. (laughs) So uh, let's also talk about there. There was a a listener who reached out uh, regarding the Silver Bridge episode. Oh wow! Okay, a throwback. Uh So this was the bridge collapse, of course. Um, his name is Tato Tato Noriega. And uh, I don't have a big comment about the last episode, uh, which I think you guys didn't talk about. Um, Some background, I'm an engineer and an economist that studies both people and systems that intersect 
Um, and so I think that a bit more about the system and the relations that sustain. Okay. So, uh, bridges don't exist because they look nice. They serve a purpose in moving people from one place to another, but that may have, uh, different, but, uh, people that may have different relations to maintain between Ohio and West Virginia. Before this bridge was constructed, there were other bridges, um, and, other ways to travel between Ohio and West Virginia. This bridge was constructed to satisfy the necessity of individuals who wanted a faster way to travel between those two places mm. as um, there can't be any uh, system constructed where there is no demand for it. Mm. Uh, so he's saying essentially he's pointing out that that the people's need mm -hmm. to travel – right. Well, so it's almost like the people themselves. Well, we because we kind of focused a lot on the governments of Ohio and Pennsylvania, right? Yes. And, and they're no, like, no, uh, Ohio oh, and West Virginia. Oh, sorry, sorry, Ohio and West Virginia. Um, and I think what he's saying is that 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 their uh, constructing that bridge was because of a demand for people for wanting to cross that river. I mean, it's like it didn't just come out of nowhere. People want people wanted a better route, so they demanded a bridge. So I guess. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about because the more we, uh, the more technology and the more we have in advances, the more risks, you know, we're, we're demanding, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're essentially asking people to put these like pieces of metal over, you know, <laughs> like yeah, bits I mean, over a, a river and, you know, it's, it's whatever feet high and we're hoping that our cars can drive on it. I mean, there's more <laughs> that goes into it than that, I think. But I, I mean, I think you can also sort of blame, um, lack of pr public transportation and, you know, like rel over reliance on a car, based infrastructure in the united states i mean you can get into that if you want to. we could like, probably also blame capitalism was that ever on the board i think it was okay because well, okay, i'm also well, but i'm probably thinking about it from a different angle because i'm thinking back in the day when people when we were like living in villages and like searching hunting gathering for our food people wouldn't move far away from home and they wouldn't have to go back to visit relatives mm -hmm. and now people grow up and they need to move to the city to work mm-hmm capitalism mm -hmm. and then use a bridge to get back home and industrial it's industrialization too Sur like, uh, like yeah yeah and like <laughs> suburbanization would you call that sure <laughs> yeah like the suburbs yeah people we could blame the suburbs for that <laughs> i guess so i don't know, I don't know. well anyway do we have any other emails <laughs> we do <laughs> i don't think that changes it he sent us but thank now. you this is from one of our uh, loyal listeners, Steve Smith. Chris, do you recognize the name? Yes, I do. This is my dad, who um, <laughs> we were just talking about earlier, actually, who wanted to write in and chime in about the Black Sox scandal. So why don't you take it away, Reeps? Okay. He says, Dear Alarmist, much like the Alarmist is uniquely qualified to catastrophize, I, a present-day sports gambler and formal high school baseball player, uh, he played third base uh, and had five putouts in support of Doug Pendergrass's perfect game in 1973. <laughs> so he's giving us a lot of background. facts. <laughs> background. Uh, he feels uh, uniquely qualified to sort out uh, who's to blame for the Black Sox scandal. While the owners created a paradigm of sparse uh, wages for the players. Sparse. Sparse. Uh, wages for the players, the game-fixing gamblers, the bookie, are to blame. Yes, the players concocted the scheme and accepted the bribe, but the game-fixing gamblers knew that they had easy prey and executed on it. First, some insight into the gambler's mentality. 
This is a pretty long email. Should we read the whole thing? <laughs> yes, yes, read the yes, whole thing. Why not? I'm, I'm riveted. <laughs> they love the notion of making money without working for it. It's their great American dream. Make a bet, sit on the couch, win, and make money. Voila. Second, gamblers live for life looking for the edge, a small degree of insight, information, etc., where they feel uh, gives them an edge that uh, they trade on it. They bet. If they can capitalize on a win ratio of 55% or more, they can bet the odds. Utopia for a gambler. Gamblers bet with bookies. Bookies need to win all the time. They charge a 10% uh, VIG, which I don't know what that is, when you lose and pay dollar for dollar when you win. They make a guarantee. Oh, they charge you 10%. They make a guaranteed 5% on all money bet. Better than a bank. Great work if you can get it. All this serves as backdrop to the motives of the game fixing gamblers or bookies behind the Black Sox scandal. They got greedy and impatient. They wanted more sooner. They needed a bigger fix. They're always on the lookout for the next guaranteed money-making scheme. Remember, they want their unfair advantage. In this case, they wanted to tilt the field in the favor and eliminate the risk. The players were easy prey for this sophisticated bunch. They were underpaid and the gamblers were all too happy to corroborate with them to fix the World Series. It's It's long known that bribing players to tank in games is the easiest form of sports corruption. It happened in the 1978-79 Boston College basketball point-shaving scandal. Key players for Boston College basketball team played poorly so that the other team would stay within the spread and win the bet. It also happened in the harness horse racing industry in the 70s, where the driver of a horse that was heavily favored would intentionally hold back in ho- uh, his horse from coming in the money uh, so that the other long shots would finish in the top four, therefore creating large payoffs for superfect- superfectas for which the drivers would bet on and win big. The harness industry suspended Superfecta wagering shortly after. I know this because I paid my college tuition bill in my sophomore year because I won the Superfecta the night before the Roosevelt <laughs> before at the Roosevelt Raceway, but I digress. <laughs> so anyway, probably true. <laughs> he's definitely not lying. Uh, regardless of the substandard wage environment created by the owners, the players still had a choice. They still had integrity. And would have walked away. But the gamblers, the bookies, uh, the bookie has been and will always be one step in front of the establishment. It's who they are. Uh, and this is uh, – it's what they are. And as such, they are to blame. So he puts the blame on the bookies, which, you know, I, we did let go very quickly. I think they were the first people to kind of come off the board. The gamblers. That's right. And gambling culture too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gambling mm-hmm. culture stayed on a little longer. Um, but the – we, yeah, I guess we're not thinking. We we're not thinking about the bookies because they're so in the background as they want to be, right? Right. They they don't want you to think about that ten percent that you're going to pay them if you lose. They're, you know, they just kind of like they're like little snakes where they like show up and then slither away. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I think he made a lot of good points there. He could have been our guest expert. <laughs> he knows a lot about gambling. Uh, I think to me, it's like the gamblers were definitely taking advantage of a situation, but I don't think, and I think that's what they do, but I don't know if they caused the situation, you mm. know? So the gamblers are going to show up anytime there's a vulnerable party that they can take advantage of. 
yeah, he kind of takes the accountability off the players. And he said, you know, he doesn't, although he, he, he does say they uh, deserve partial bl- blame, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. Yeah, he, he makes a very compelling case to, you know, inside the gambler's mentality. They, they, <laughs> they saw an opportunity, like you said, Amanda, and they struck. And uh, I, I don't know. I think he makes an interesting case. Is I, this swaying us? Do we think the gamblers now are more, are more culpable than the managers? Well, I mean, they are. They had worse in. They both had bad intentions, but the manager's intentions are a little bit more ambiguous. The gamblers are just like so clear that they had bad intentions. Yeah, they would have. Um, I guess the the problem really came from the administration, right? So and the and the players were kind of they didn't have the union yet, and so they were put in a in a difficult position. So who's to say that they couldn't have found a different way of of making that extra cash mm. um i think the the gamblers the bookies saw an opportunity i, th- I think it for me what it comes down to is the integrity of baseball and the integrity of the sport the the gambler is not responsible in any way for the integrity of the sport what night with the 1919 world series did was and the tra- real tragedy at hand is it destroyed or it crippled the integrity of baseball and I just think the owners who who run this game, who ran this game, they needed to provide a stronger protection for the integrity of the mm. game. And so to me it comes down to it comes down to that. The yes, the gamblers are were probably the most potent force in this equation, but that the sport itself they they're, they're not they don't care if the sport it's the inte- about the integrity of the sport. It's the owners who should have cared right. more. I don't know. That's a good point. And I'm sorry to say, Mr. Smith, you did not change the verdict. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. <laughs> so, I mean, we've gotten so many good responses um, to these Aftermath episodes. Oh, yeah, good. Well, we'll keep doing them. I think we're out of time for today, but yeah. we have more to talk about next week. Oh, and, and before you know we go, we had uh, someone write in um, you know, Mr. Smith ended uh, the the email with your loyal alarmee. Mm-hmm. And we've oh. had other people write in, you know, with some suggestions about what listeners can call themselves, right? Are you an alarmee? Um, Chris Weigel wrote in. He said um, perhaps you can call them jailers or alarmist guards or deputies. <laughs> I like deputies. <laughs> deputies makes me laugh. Funny, yeah. yeah. What? What are? What? Yeah. What do you call the the jailers uh, or the people who uh, guard the jail cell? Um, uh, correctional corrections cor- officers. Yeah, corrections <laughs> officers doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. Uh, alarmies like, is kind of cute because yeah, because the, yeah. Sorry. Go oh ahead. no, I was just gonna say that's cute because it's like alarmies. I don't know why. It's <laughs> 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 <That's> just cute. <laughs> well, it's like also people who are who get alarmed by mm-hmm. things, right? So it's not necessarily that they're watching our full prison of. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are in the alarm cell, it's more so that they're out there living their lives being alarmed at things. That's what they're connected to about the thing. So alarmies is pretty good in that sense, I guess. That yeah. might be my top contender, but we should probably do a poll on Twitter yeah. and Instagram. L- Lil, I think let's Lil, brainstorm Lil, a little bit more. Lil Sirens? L-I-L Sirens? Oh, that's cute. I love a little anything. 
Um, Your loyal loyal little siren. (laughs) I don't know if that one's going to stick, but we can can put it on the pole. (laughs) So far, we've got alarmies, little sirens, and deputies. Yeah. Uh, We can outsource this. Reach out. Let us know what you think that you guys should be called. You all should be called. And follow us on Twitter at The Alarmist Pod. Uh, No, on Twitter, we're at Alarmist The. Right. And on Instagram, we're at The Alarmist Podcast. And you can email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. And call us. Leave us a voicemail. We love your voicemails. And you can call us at the Erios hotline at 844-370-8643. That number again is... 844-370-8643. And of course, feel free. Uh, I would encourage you to rate, subscribe, review um, the podcast. Uh, It really helps us get our numbers up. I don't know how these people um, decide who gets up on the charts, but some- It really, I'll tell you what, it it makes a difference. Um, We just got a really fun review from jbrooks228 that says, I'd love to hear an appeal episode. However, I think you've been pretty spot on so far. Barring new evidence, it seems everyone in the alarmist jail is serving the time because they did the crime. Hilarious, educational, and I really love the inclusion of expert testimony. Keep up the great work. An appeals episode. (laughs) Well, we're going to have, we're going to, if the fashion industry ever does make it to the board and gets put in jail we have to have like an automatic appeals <laughs> why because you think the arbitrator or the judge is biased <laughs> i don't know it's just the fashion industry has come up way too someone much someone planted evidence um yeah i mean if anyone would like to file for a formal appeal uh let us know and, we and we'll consider <laughs> <laughs> but the formal appeal can't be I don't think it can be like, I'm being serious. Like it Uh can't just be like, I think that this person is guilty. I think it has to be, here's why the person you put in jail is definitely not guilty. You know what I mean? Cause that, that then it will be, we'll retry the case around that, you know, that subject or person specific. Absolutely. And I'll consider it. Plead your case. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for listening and uh, tune in next week. Uh, We'll be covering a very, Difficult and crazy uh, subject, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.